right, well, good morning, everyone. <coughs> I really appreciated Ken's meditation this morning. Not only is it very wise theologically and very powerful, but what a great dinner time strategy for your kids, right? Hey, you guys knock it off. And, um, no, I'm just kidding. It's fantastic. Um, and it's exactly in line with where I want to go today. Um, we spent the last two weeks um, talking about two elements of Isaiah 9-6. And I just want to read that verse with you again, and then we're going to jump right in. Um, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, I don't know if you wondered this or not, but you may have questioned, how come I just didn't take these in order? How come we just didn't start off with um, Wonderful Counselor and move to Mighty God? And there was a little bit of reason behind the, that madness, actually, and that is simply this. I chose the first two um, because I wanted to lead up to today, and I want today to lead up to next week. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's very easy to walk away from the previous two messages, I think, and consider we know lots of people who are peacemakers. That's a quality we can sort of all share. That's an attribute of Christ. It's a beautiful, wonderful attribute about his nature. And he's also a wonderful counselor beyond comprehension. And we could probably make the argument that we all have wise counselors in our lives. But this is where the rubber hits the road because this is number three in this four-part series. There's only one king. There's only one mighty God. There's only one Messiah. And we're going to establish this today. We are going to establish that the coming of this king, in all of his glory and yet in all of his humility, is the coming of the one and true and only Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at two accounts for today to learn how Jesus is our mighty God. And for your notes today, if you were to take those out, I realized that with all the scripture that I'm going to be using, I could give you three pages of notes, and I didn't want to do that to you. But what I am going to encourage you to do, and I'll try to pace myself at a slow enough rate where you can write the verses down so you can use them for your personal study this week, we're going to be working with a lot of verses today. And we're going to be doing this because we're going to be tying a lot of things together, both Old Testament and New, to again demonstrate and prove how the prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ, the Messiah. And so as we get into this today, we are simply going to establish this. Jesus is our mighty God, just as Isaiah prophesied. And we're going to start with Hebrews 1.3, which is not in your notes, but I would jot this one down. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The Son... The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, if you ever question, if you ever wonder, if you're ever searching for who God is, we have the assurance that who God is, is who we see in Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see the exact representation of God. How God looks, who God is, who 
truly is the nature of God. And he came in person in the form of Jesus. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And that is a mighty God. And today we're going to look at two passages from the book of John. One in which Jesus is identified as the Messiah, and the other where Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah. And we're going to see the qualities and the characteristics of who this mighty God is. And so if you've got your notes ready, let's start with John 1. And actually it says 43 to 51. I'm going to start at verse 41. And I'm going to read this with you, and then we're going to start breaking this down. In verse 41... The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which which translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, talk about a little shot there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now it's key to know as we read this passage that many Jews, just like these these young men here, these are people who have memorized lots and lots of the Old Testament. And that's going to be important to note as we see how Nathanael recognizes the prophecies fulfilled that he knew and what he sees in Jesus. And so there are four titles that I want to look at when we take a look at this passage. Verse 41 says, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Verse 49 says, Jesus is both the Son of God and the King of Israel. And in verse 51, we see that Jesus is called the Son of Man. Now, we're going to unwrap all of these today as we understand how that fits into this idea and to this truth that Jesus is our mighty God. So first, let's consider the title Son of God and King of Israel. Jesus tells Nathanael where he was and what was in his heart without having been there. And Nathanael then bursts out, as we just saw in verse 49, You are the Son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, what Nathanael meant by that was great, but probably not as great as what the words will come to mean in the ministry of Jesus and in the Gospel of John. Nathanael probably means you are the Messiah, the long-awaited Jewish ruler that will bring deliverance for Israel and establish God's rule over all the nations. Both the term the Son of God 
and the king of Israel were references for the Messiah. And this is where we start going back into the Old Testament to see how this all ties together. If you find 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 14. Again, these are, these are scriptures that I would ask you just to write in your notes. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. God says to David, the king of Israel, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So at one level, this refers to David's son Solomon. But at another level, it refers to the final son of David, the Messiah. Because verse 13 says, I will establish his kingdom Forever, You see how this is all weaving and tying together the old and the new? There would come a descendant of David, in other words, whose reign would never end. When Jesus was born, the angel said to Mary in Luke 12, 1, 32 to 33, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see how that verse in Luke ties 2 Samuel 7, 13 perfectly. Jesus will fulfill the throne of David. The reign shall last forever. But we also know that 2 Samuel 7 not only calls him a king because he will reign, but it also says that he will be the son of God. In verse 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son so from the time of David on, the Messiah was known as the Son of God in a very unique way. And so it helps us better understand Luke 1.35. So we're kind of going back and forth with 2 Samuel and Luke. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now in researching this message uh, for this week, uh, I spent some time reading some works of John Piper. He's a, he's a well-known Bible scholar. He's a Baptist minister. And he says that the Son of God and the King of Israel were linked in the Old Testament as twin titles for the Messiah. So if you can think about it like this, the Son of God, King of Israel, they were both ways to describe this Messiah. And he shows us this in Psalm 2, 2 through 7. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And that was another word for the Messiah. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Kind of as Ken was talking about in the meditation today. Saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So we have here a Messiah, a king, a son, all referring <coughs> excuse me, to the same person. And that is what we understand to know is the background for Nathaniel's outburst that we read in John 149. You see, Nathaniel is intimately aware of these prophecies. He has studied this scripture, and so he immediately calls out to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And what he's saying here is simply this, you are the expected one that I've read about in 2 Samuel and Psalm 2. You are the Messiah. 
The time of fulfillment is here. The kingdom of God is about to be established on earth, and the enemies of God's people will be defeated. The Messiah will take the nations for his inheritance and rule the nations with the rod of iron, just like Psalm 2 says. To Nathaniel, he completely gets this. I am seeing the incarnation of the very Messiah who's been described in everything that I've studied and read. But even though Nathaniel was right about Jesus being the Messiah, he believed too much and too little about Jesus' Jesus' sonship and kingship. And I'm going to make this point like this. He believed too much because this son and king would be executed as a criminal rather than the conqueror of the Romans and and the Assyrians and these people over time that the Jews were expecting to come and deliver them. See, they were expecting someone to come with the hammer. And Jesus comes in the manger. And for that reason, he believed too little because these terms son and king are meant to be so much more than he knew then. They're the son and the king that we know now. Consider the title son of God. And what it came to mean in Jesus' ministry. Another verse for you, John 5.18. John 5.18. It says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Something was happening in Jesus' ministry that the leaders at the time could not tolerate. Jesus was teaching and implying that he, his sonship meant his deity. In other words, his, his, his tie to the Father as being the claimed son was making him claim Godship himself. He was equal with God, and there were many in those circles who thought this was blasphemous, unless it's true. And we all believe it's true, don't we? He is who he claimed to be. But this is what got him in trouble with some of the leaders at the time. So we ask ourselves, why then is he called the Son of Man? And we see, as we saw in verse 51, it's not simply because he is a man. It's because the figure of a Son of Man in Daniel 7.13 is both human and far more than human. So here's another tie to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. And this, by the way, was Jesus' favorite designation for himself. I found out that it's used. The son of man term is used over 80 times in the Gospels, and it is only Jesus who uses it to refer to him as uh, as himself. Something that happens 80 times over the course of the Gospels is probably pretty important, isn't it? Jesus consistently and constantly refers to himself as the son of man. So let's take a look at Daniel 7, 13 through 14. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and languages should serve him. We're looking into the future from Daniel's perspective. They will serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now this is the language of kingship and glory and sovereignty. And if you want to do some extra reading this week, you will find language rich with this throughout John 3, 4, 5, and 6. Use your chair time this week. I would encourage you to go through those chapters in John and see how they connect to Daniel. 
You know, we're talking about foretold throughout this whole series how this, this, this foretelling of Jesus coming, how he fulfills it. This is that message this morning that's trying to tie this all together. Pieces of the Old Testament as they tie into who Jesus becomes and who Jesus is. Only those who had the ears to hear broke through with this exalted meeting of the Son of Man. And so this time, it was not the Jewish leaders who used the title to bring him to the cross. Jesus himself used it this way. In John 3, 14 and 15, Jesus says this, or John writes this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, now listen to this, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what do you think the image is of this Son of Man being lifted up? Where do you think that is alluding to? It's the cross. It's the crucifixion. Jesus comes, and just as we talked about at the communion table today, he took the blow. He took the blow. And after he took that blow and after he died on that cross, he rose again for our iniquities, for our sins. Is that a mighty God? You better believe it. So you could say that the greatest glory that Nathaniel or you or I would ever see is the glory of the Son of Man, the Lord of Heaven, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, lifted up on a cross to die for sinners like you and me. Jesus came to fulfill this. Jesus came to do this. It was ordained, and he did it. When we see Jesus this Christmas as Son of God and as King of Israel and as the Son of Man, we must make sure that we see him dying to give us eternal life. And therefore, we see him as the glorious, mighty God that he was foretold to be. So that's the first passage I want to look at. Here's the second one, and this is where I think it gets really personal. And this is the passage in John 4, 7 through 26, and the encounter with the Samaritan woman. I want to look at that together and then spell out a few things there as well. So we've identified Jesus as, in, as all of these terms and titles, this, this, this king, this Messiah, this, this mighty God. But let's see what it means on a personal level. And let's take a look as it matters to the life of this Samaritan woman. Because this Samaritan woman could be any one of us. Read this passage with me. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? <clears throat> His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. Just make a reference to that. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. In other words, these worldly things, they're just going to bring you more and more thirst as you seek them. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never 
thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She's still not making this connection yet. And Jesus told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. And watch what happens next as the woman sort of cowers to him. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, as if he's looking right through her soul, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. In a very piercing moment, Jesus just calls right through the mess of her life, the mistakes she's made, the sin she's living with, and notice what happens next. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and I I keep seeing this phrase, a time is coming, a time is coming, a time is coming. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's a good clue to what God is looking for us from worship, isn't it? Spirit and truth. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the Samaritan woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus drops the hammer on her. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, I don't know what your daily routine looks like, but if you were like this Samaritan woman just going to the well for some water or you're just at the grocery store running your errands and someone comes and tells you after this very deep conversation that he is your Messiah, I'm not sure how you would react. And I'm not sure how this woman would have reacted in that moment either. But when John records this close-up encounter, we see that Jesus offers her living water, and she is transformed. She's transformed. Our encounter with Christ, our encounter with our Messiah, transforms us. The Samaritan woman is well aware of the tension between herself, a Samaritan, for for heaven's sake. She's a Samaritan. She's this lowly person, she thinks, in the eyes of this Jewish rabbi. She knows the tension that exists in this conversation. And it is shocking to her that Jesus would even speak to her. And at one point, she brought up this very disputed point of doctrine when she talks about the water. And that is this. Who has the proper place in worship? The Jews or the Samaritans. So she's all tied up in these placements and this order of things, and it is there where Jesus bores far deeper into a much more important issue. And this is the heart of the message here this morning about how and why he is our mighty God. Because when he spoke to her, when he transformed her in that moment, it wasn't who she was. It wasn't where she was from. 
And it wasn't from which she came or the choices that she made. Instead, Jesus zeroed in on a bigger question. He zeroed in on her thirst. And I have a question for you here this morning. As you think about this mighty God in our lives, what are you thirsting for? And what are you trying to fill your life with to fulfill that thirst? Because Scripture is very clear. Everything that we try to fill, and that, that, that video talked a lot about it as well, when we try to fill our lives with things to quench our thirst that aren't from God, they always leave us thirsty, don't they? They always leave us thirsty. Anything that feels unsettled or unhappy or uncertain in our lives, there is a thirst there. And it's a longing to quench something that is out of sorts or out of sync. This woman at the well, her life's out of sync. She discloses that to Jesus very humbly when he zeroes in on what is wrong and what's going on in her life. And when he offers this living water to her, this spirit that's within him, it transforms her. In this encounter, Jesus offers not, just, not judgment, but a lasting solution to the guilt and the consequences of her unsettled life. To this woman, to this woman in need, to this woman in a desperate situation, he openly identifies himself as the Messiah, and he chose her to reveal himself, and through that, she is transformed. We have the assurance that Jesus is revealing himself to us every day of our lives. And this lesson is clear through all of that. Jesus is the Messiah. He is my Messiah. He's your Messiah. He's our Messiah. And regardless of who we are, where we've been, what we've done, or where we've come from, Jesus, fully representing God, came to save every one of us. And that's a mighty God. And all throughout Scripture, as we have been looking at this morning, we can tie his kingship his place as mighty God, to prophecies foretold and prophecies fulfilled. But the joy in what's fulfilled is what it means for you and me. And there's one more prophecy left to fulfill, and that is he's coming again. Someday he's coming again. In Jesus, we have the exact representation of God And in Jesus, we see a God who, out of his love for us, came to this earth to rescue us from our sin. And he did this purely out of his nature, which is love. John 1.14, the final verse I'm going to have you write down. The word became flesh. That's Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Love, you see, has the power to transform this world. And that is the true might of our mighty God in Jesus. Through Jesus, we are given the power to transform our lives just like that Samaritan woman. And our relationships we can transform, our destinies we can transform through faith in him. We are given the hope and the assurance that when we place our faith in him, he will save us and he will secure our place in his presence for all eternity. In other words, like the Samaritan woman whose life was in shambles at the time of this encounter, Jesus offers us living water. Jesus offers living water to thirsty people. And only a mighty God has that power to save 
And Jesus is revealed, as foretold in this prophecy, as our mighty God. Now, as Josh comes up today um, to, to close us, I have a little homework for you. And this is part of your life group discussion. This could be part of your chair time. I want you to thoroughly read Acts 2. Thoroughly, thoroughly read Acts 2. Because if you're seeking God today, if you're seeking that place, you need to read this. And if you have found that security in your faith, you still need to read this. And I'm going to share a little bit of it with you right now. If you look at Acts chapter 2, I want to start with uh, verse 29 because this is our so what and now what moment. Peter is gathering these early followers. And he says, fellow Israelites, in chapter 2, verse 29 of Acts, I can tell you confidently... Notice again how all of this language is being sort of woven together in these prophecies. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, for he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see, what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, maybe much like you're hearing this today, they were cut to the heart. And maybe you feel cut to the heart this morning as you hear and see the amazing wonder of this mighty God. And they asked Peter, what should we do next? And I'll share the most powerful verse I think there is in all of Scripture. Peter replied, Then repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. That so now, or now what moment is this? If you're seeking that moment and you haven't made that choice to follow Jesus, what's stopping you from doing that today? What's stopping you from living in the favor of a mighty God? I want to close with just this last thought. If you have made that decision, I think it changes everything with the way you look at people as well. Because now we need to look around us and we need to see everyone around us as thirsty people. And we need to pray to God for him to teach us how to best present to those thirsty people we know in our lives. How do we present them living water? How can we best do that? I want to leave you with one last thought. I heard this on a podcast this week. I thought it was the most unbelievable way of just simply summing up Christianity just like that. When you look back over the course of all of earthly history and think of all the kings that have reigned, all of the kings on this earth, 
Whenever those kings and their subjects were in trouble, were in danger, what did those kings always do? They sent their subjects out to die for them, right? They sent their subjects out to die or to sacrifice for their kingdom. Now let's talk about a God. Let's talk about a Jesus who saw the condition of the world, saw the pain and the struggle and all of the fighting within it. And he himself went and died for his subjects. That's a heavenly king. And that is a mighty king and a mighty God who would die for us and sacrifice for us. And see, we take on the character of the king that we follow. And so as we think about serving our mighty God, let's think about how we sacrifice to spread that word, to sacrifice for those around us. And remember that he died for us. He died for us. And the most beautiful thing, and this is our last week next week, he didn't just die for his subjects. He died so he could call us sons and daughters. We're sons and daughters, which makes me so excited about next week talking about God is our everlasting Father. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, we are so thankful that you are a mighty God. We are so thankful that Jesus came to this earth, that he taught us how to live, but more importantly, Father, he is, the, he is our gateway to you. He died for us. He is our mighty God. Father, I pray for those who have not made a decision to give their life to you, that they can be worked in their heart and their soul today to make that decision, to have that sense of peace, and to have that glory and that favor that comes from following you. And Father, for all of us, let us be just like you, self-sacrificial in our actions toward others. Help us see everyone around us as having thirst and help us understand how we can bring the same living water that Jesus gave that Samaritan woman. Let us bring that same living water to this broken world. I thank you so much for all of your blessings. I pray for the week ahead and the work ahead that we all have. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.